All right, we're going to get started. Um, by way of announcements, um, we're encouraging you to continue to um, follow the government's instructions on um, social distancing. So when you go to the grocery store, um, when you're interacting with people, uh, try to keep about six feet apart, ten feet apart, something like that. Um, and then when you get together in groups, I would encourage you to follow the government's guidelines and to uh, avoid groups that are larger than 10. Um, so remember those. In light of that, a number of our projects, our um, various events that we have scheduled uh, for today and for um, coming days are going to be virtual or um, digital events. So we won't be meeting as a corporate body. Um, instead, we've encouraged you to either meet at people's homes in groups that are less than 10 or to join us uh, via Facebook Live. So thank you for doing so. Um, so anyways, those are some of the um, announcements. I'm going to be getting a bulletin out to you digitally with all the events that I've been working on. I haven't quite got that finished up, but that'll be coming to you. Um, so you can be looking for that. I'll send it up to you via email as well as posting it on our church's Facebook page. So you can be watching for those um, either later on this afternoon or this evening. You'll be getting that. Uh, pretty much it's going to be a pretty boring bulletin as a lot of events are getting canceled that are scheduled for March. Pretty much everything's canceled. And a number of events that were scheduled for April are going to be canceled. And hopefully not too many in May will be canceled. But... The conference that I was scheduled to go to in May has been canceled, so um, different things like that are being canceled. Anyways, let's go to Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will um, dive into God's word. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the fact that um, while we are not able to come together as a corporate body in a physical location, that we are able to still um, take a few minutes aside from all the busyness and all the um, all the news and all the worry that is outside in the world and to come apart from that and to sit down to reflect on your work and meditate on who you are, that you are a God who saves. You are our hope. You are our Savior. You are our only source of salvation. We pray that as we reflect on these truths that you would help us to see areas in our life where we have uh, failed to live lives that are righteous before you. We have failed to uh, live out the truth of the gospel. We have failed to live in light to the fact that you are our Savior, that you are our salvation. We pray that as we, as we do that, that we would be convicted and that we would not simply be convicted and think about it as something that's uh, true about us, but that it would lead us to taking drastic action. We pray that we ourselves would be changed, that we would see the need to grow more clearly as we go through what is a very difficult and trying time for so many um, in our congregation and in our country and around our world. We thank you for who you are. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapters 9 through 11 today. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try and do it a little bit shorter. And so... Um, we're not going to read the text at the beginning. Rather, I'll read the text as we go through different sections to kind of shorten it up a little bit. But as we think about all the events that have been going on in our world over the past week, over the past two weeks even, 
Um, it's easy for us to look for a savior. It's easy for us to look for somebody who provides hope. And maybe as you were growing up, you had the opportunity to watch various DC movies, or maybe you had um, the DC comics, or maybe you had the Marvel comics, or maybe you've watched those movies. And as you watch those movies, uh, they're enjoyable to many of us. And we enjoy them, why? Because they provide us with a savior. They provide us with hope. And many of us, if we, we don't maybe necessarily enjoy those, I'm not a huge comic fan myself, but we still imagine ourselves being a hero. We still imagine ourselves providing salvation or saving for something. I remember for many years as I was a child, I grew up and I, I wanted to play on a soccer team and I wanted to you know, be the, the best player on the team so that I could provide salvation or I could provide hope for that team. As I grew older, I, I desired to be a president. Why? Uh, because I wanted to provide salvation for a nation. We have a desire for hope. We have a desire for salvation. As we look at 1 Samuel chapters 9 through 11, we experience something very similar to that situation. As we look at 1 Samuel chapters 9 through 11, Israel has just recently rejected their king. They have rejected God. They have told Samuel, we don't want you, we don't want your sons to rule over us anymore. Instead, give us a king like all the nations. That happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And what does Samuel get told by God? He says, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over you, that I should not reign over them. And so as we enter this text... God is going to put himself up as the true king. He's going to put himself up. He's going to present himself as the true savior of the nation. And as we begin the text, the, the theme or the big idea of the text is God is our only source of salvation and hope. God is our only source of salvation and hope. As we begin, if you look at 1 Samuel chapters, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, you see that Saul is an unlikely savior. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Saul's dad is a mighty man. And this doesn't necessarily mean that he's mighty in strength, but rather he's prominent, he has power, he has wealth. And so you're kind of like, why is he an unlikely hero? I mean, if his dad is wealthy, his dad is prominent, why wouldn't he be prominent as well? And you keep reading, and it becomes even more apparent that Saul should be someone who is prominent, who is a capable leader for the nation. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel, and his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost, and Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servants who was with him, come, let us return lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. 
Saul fails to ask God for help. Saul fails to go to God. And it's, it's interesting because his servant is the one who comes before him and says, Saul, why don't we consider asking God? It's interesting. Saul's name means ask. The children of Israel have asked for a king and God has given them what they have asked for. And Saul fails to ask God for help. And his servant is the one who points him to God. He said to him, Look, now there is the city, a man, there is in the city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he has says all that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps we can show uh, he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread on our vessel is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? Saul thinks that he has to buy God's favor. He has to buy God's willingness to listen, to answer his questions. Saul is pictured as someone who is mighty, who is prominent, who is handsome, who is spiritually inept, who spiritually is not fit to lead a nation. The verse continues, then Saul, uh, verse 8, And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he took thus, he spoke thus, Let us go to the shear, seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to a servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Saul is an unlikely hero. He's an unlikely savior. Why? Because ultimately it's not Saul who is the savior. God is the savior. God is the one who brings salvation. And as we work through the text, it becomes even more clear as we work through it that God is the one who has in the past worked about salvation for Israel. And God is the one going forward who will work salvation for Israel. And as you and I sit in a really difficult situation with many of our church members having lost jobs or spouses of church members having lost jobs, it is a difficult time. It is a difficult time for our nation. It is a difficult time for the world. And where do we go for hope? Where do we go for help? God wants us to go to him to be our Savior. God wants us to go to Him to provide us with the salvation that we need. As we move on in verses 11 of chapter 9 through chapter 10, all the way through verse 27, you see that God is orchestrating Israel's salvation. God is bringing about the little details of life to bring about God's salvation for the nations. Look with me as, as we continue in verse 11. And as they went up to the hill city. They met some young women looking or going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to the city, because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him, because he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out to them. 
on his way to the high place. As, as Saul is going, he meets the young women who point him in the right direction. God is orchestrating the events of Saul's life to find out God's leading, to find God's salvation. And as we continue to work through in verses 15 through chapter 10, verse 6, you see that Samuel's message for Saul comes from God. God is going to tell Saul what he wants him to do. In verse 15, now the Lord had spoken to Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. It's interesting. We have to note verse 16. Samuel learns Saul's purpose was to save Israel. Samuel learns that Saul is supposed to be the commander of Israel with the intent, with the purpose that, what will happen? That Saul will save the nation. And the question is, does Saul immediately act? Does Saul really fulfill God's purpose? Can Saul really provide the salvation that the nation of Israel is looking for? And ultimately, the answer is no. Why? Because God is our only hope for salvation, for security. And that is what the text is teaching us. That is what the text is constantly pounding into us. Is this idea that God is our only hope. God is our Savior. God is our source of salvation. And no man is capable of accomplishing that. God is the hope for Israel. God is your hope. God is my hope. As you continue to work through verse 17, So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. For you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go, and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkey, that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them. For they have been found, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you, and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Saul doubts God's ability to work. Saul doubts that God will accomplish his purpose. As we continue to move on, um, in verse 22, Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were in, invited. There are about three, 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, that which was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. 
when they had come down from the high place into the city, Saul, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They rose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went down, he and Samuel. And so Saul's going to fail God's plan. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servants to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here while I may announce to you the word of God. <clears throat> then, this is where Saul learns God's plan. What is God's plan? Saul has been waiting for this. In verse 20, he's told, you're the desire. All the desire of Israel is for you. Is not on you and all in your father's house. Is it not on you and all your father's house? And so now God is going to tell him through Samuel what his purpose is. And note very carefully, especially verse, uh, I think it's 6. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? It's interesting. Once again, this idea of commander comes up. What is the idea of commander supposed to communicate? It communicates the idea of war. It communicates the idea of fighting, of going into battle and leading people victorious through something. And he says, Saul, your purpose is to be a commander. A commander should lead in military victory. And so he goes on in verse 2. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and he is worrying about you saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to a god at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Samuel is telling Saul, there are specific things that are going to happen that are going to show you that I am indeed appointing you to be the savior. You are supposed to be the commander. You are supposed to lead a military victory. And I believe that he's supposed to lead that military victory right here, right after he receives this gift. Look at verse 5. Why does he mention the Philistine garrison? I think it's because when all this happens, Saul is supposed to lead a military victory, which paves the way super nicely, super smoothly for him to be crowned king of Israel. But does Saul take the initiative? Does Saul accomplish God's purpose? Does he fulfill salvation for the nation of, nation of Israel? And as we work through, as we get to verse 7 and on, we'll see that no, Saul will fail to accomplish God's mission. Verse 5, And after they, that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. This is God's hill. The Philistines are there. 
Saul has been made the commander of Israel. He's supposed to lead a military victory here, and he fails to do so, as we'll see in verses 7 and on. And it will happen when you have come here, there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. The occasion demands you are a commander. The Spirit of God has come upon you. Defeat the enemy. Save the nation. And Saul fails. As we work through verses 7 through 27, it becomes very apparent that he does not accomplish God's mission for him. In verse 8, you shall go down from there to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. As we work through the next verses, what we see is that Saul has all the things that Samuel has said. These things will happen. These things are pointing you to the fact that God is in control of the situation, that God is orchestrating his salvation, and he desires to use you. But ultimately, God is the Savior. But as we work through the text, you see that Saul is still a man who is spiritually lacking. He's inept. He does not accomplish what he should do. He fails to see that God is the Savior. Verse 9. So it was, when he had turned his back to go from Saul, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is his father? Therefore it came a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? So he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. And then they all, the whole nation of Israel gathers in this next section from verse 17 on. And as they gather, what's happening is they are gathering to coronate their king, to, to make their king. In verse 17, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God. Your God who has in the past provided you with a salvation that you so desperately long for. You have rejected. I have been your savior in the past, God is saying. I am still your only hope 
for salvation today, and you have rejected me. But God's mercy is so immense as we enter into chapter 11, even though Israel has chosen to reject their God, God is going to still choose to work a marvelous salvation for his people. And while God does not work in the same way, you and I are not delivered as a nation in the same way. God has not made that promise. God is not that God to America. God is still a God who works salvation. God is a saving God. And as we, as we near the end, we're going to reflect on how do you and I respond to a God who still saves, a God who works marvelous action of salvation on behalf of his people. It requires that you and I respond in worship. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families. The family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man not come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. Once again, Saul is pictured as inept. He is incapable of saving the nation. He's been told numerous times, You are the commander. You are supposed to lead this salvation. You have been chosen by God. These are the signs. But he's pictured as inept. He does not accomplish what he's supposed to accomplish. And why is that? Ultimately, it's so that you and I can more clearly and more easily see who our God is. Our God is a God who works about salvation. Our God is a saving God. Our God is the only hope that you and I have as we go through very difficult days. As we continue to work our way through the text, the, the people of Israel go and they ran and they brought him there and they stood among the people and he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. No one's like him. And yet he is inept to save the nation. Why? Because God is the Savior. God is the one who brings about salvation. Not mighty men, not men of prominence, not handsome men. God himself brings about salvation. And he uses his servants to accomplish that. But the credit, the worship, the honor, all belongs to God. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! But some of the people weren't so impressed by their new leader. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him, whose heart God had touched. 
But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Those men were wrong to respond in the way they responded. God had set this man up. They should have followed him. But they doubted. They shouldn't have, but they did. As the text moves on, in, in chapter 11, we see that God is the only hope of salvation. In verse 1, we see the problem present himself. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. That's a horrible request. That's a horrible, horrible request. And the, the purpose is, if I put out your right eye, you will not be able to go into battle. You will not be able to rebel against me. But if you do that, I will kill you all. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, who's saving? God is saving God is working out his salvation. It is God who is Israel's hope. It is God who is our hope. We will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Harsh words. Hard words. Let's pluck out all your eyes. And if you'll do that, I won't kill you all. I'm sorry, I don't think I would like that very much either. I'd probably be crying. Okay? It's hard. What happens? In verse 6, who comes to the rescue? It's actually God. God is the one who comes. And as he comes, he empowers Saul to do what? To work about his salvation. God receives the glory because God is the only hope for Israel. God is our only hope. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused, so he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one cons consent when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were there 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messenger who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jebesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by this time, when the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jebesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jebesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Saul, said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? This is going back to the end of chapter 10 when the people rebelled and they said, We're not going to serve this guy. He's inept. He's not a capable leader. Can God really work about salvation with him? And the people are like, let's kill those men. 
And why does Saul say, no, let's not kill those men? It's not because of who Saul is. Because Saul is inept on his own. You and I are inept on our own. Saul points to who his God is. Saul points to who your God is and who my God is. Our God is our only hope. He is our only source of salvation. He is our only source of security in hard times. Verse 12. Then the people said, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. Verse 13. This is my favorite verse in this whole passage. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Saul. It's not about Samuel. It's about God bringing about salvation. God is our only hope. He is our security. He is our salvation. The text continues on. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Why? Because God worked about salvation. The response of the nation of Israel was worship. And as you and I respond to the truth of God's word, the truth is that God is the one who works salvation. This is a timeless truth. This is not just true 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It's not just true 2,000 years ago. It's not just true 1,000 years ago. It's not true 10 years ago. It is true today. It'll be true tomorrow. God is the only one who works about salvation. As we meditate on those truths, as we meditate on the fact that God is our source of hope, as we meditate on that truth, it requires that you and I respond to this truth. It requires that we live differently in light of this truth. First of all, as we respond to the fact that God is the one who works about salvation, I think some of us sometimes forget the fact that we are in need of salvation. Who is in need of salvation? And really the answer is, we are all in need of salvation. And either you have received that salvation or you have not. Why are you and I in need of salvation? The reason why you and I are in need of salvation is because you and I were born in sin. We were we were under the control of sin. We were slaves to sin. Nothing in me, nothing in you could ever merit, could ever earn God's favor. We were sinners. And our sin separates us eternally from God. And so how do we respond to that truth? Well, as we've seen in the passage, there's nothing in you, there's nothing in me that could ever earn God's favor, that could ever allow me to be acceptable in his sight. What earns God's favor for, for you and for me is the fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. 
And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to live a perfect, sinless life. And after his perfect, sinless life, he was willingly taken to the cross. He willingly died on the cross for, for the penalty of your sins and the penalty of my sins. Because nothing I could ever do could ever earn God's favor, could ever merit God's happiness with me. And so in order to receive that salvation, what you must do, what I must do, is we must place our faith in Christ's finished work. We must come to him acknowledging that we are sinners, that we stand condemned before a holy, righteous God. We profess that he is our only hope and that we are trusting in him and him alone. That is the first way in which you and I must respond to the fact that God is our hope, that God is our salvation. The sec second way is, I believe, that we, we should be responding to the government. We should be submitting to the government. As they make additional requirements on us, they will be difficult. They will be hard. But it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to live in obedience to those requirements, even if they're difficult. We rely on God's continued provision. What does that mean? It means you and I don't go to the grocery store and hoard. We recommit ourselves to God's word. What does that mean? As you and I see that God is our only hope of salvation, it means that you and I recommit ourselves to reading God's word, to meditating on God's word, to memorizing God's word, and then to living in faithful obedience to God's word. If God is our only hope of salvation, and as the text clearly teaches, He is, it requires that you and I respond by submitting ourselves to God's Word, to allowing it to transform us. And then finally, we recommit ourselves to faithfulness in prayer. Faithfulness in our, in our prayer life for our nation, for our leaders. We recommit ourselves to faithfulness and prayer for our neighbors. We recommit ourselves in prayer to faithful prayer for our health care providers as they, they care for so many people in various hot spots with the coronavirus. That God would protect them, that God would give them wisdom and help them to care for people wisely. We recommit ourselves in faithfulness to prayer for our own members. God is our only hope of salvation. God is our only hope for security in desperate times. And that requires that you and I respond by worshiping God in all these ways. My prayer for you, my prayer for me is that as we go through the next weeks, as we go through the next months, that you and I would be drawn closer to Christ. That we would Better than ever before, see our God as a God who delivers, as a God who provides salvation, that I would turn our hearts to faithful worship. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you are a God who works about salvation. And that's not something that just describes you 5,000 years ago or 6,000 years ago or even 3,000 years ago. But that is who you are today. We pray that over the coming days, over the coming weeks and months, that our hearts would be drawn closer to you 
and that we would rely on you to even greater extent for our hope of salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be live once again tonight at about 6.02. Hope to see you then. Bye.